Friday, December 22nd, 2017. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and this is the third of three podcasts we're going to do this week. We did one Tuesday, did one Wednesday. I've been keeping track. This is the third. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please go do that via iTunes. Rate it favorably. Continue to write great comments, please. You guys have been awesome about doing that. We appreciate it. Our bosses, I think and hope, appreciate it. So we encourage you to keep doing it. And I want to give full credit uh, where credit is due right at the top. I have a busy uh, Friday ahead of me. This is Friday morning. It's about 9 a.m. Eastern when we're recording this, and I-, I got a long day. I really got like an impossible busy 24 hours in front of me. I won't bore you with the details, but just trust me, I'm telling the truth. So I asked Matt Norlander uh, Thursday afternoon. I said, hey, man, if you can swing it, let's try to go ahead and knock out this third podcast of the week early Thursday night so I can just wake up on Friday and focus completely on television stuff here in New York. And Norlander basically said, he said, we can do that because he's he's agreeable usually. He said, we can do that, but there are a lot of ranked teams playing Thursday night. Some of them are playing late Thursday night. We might look silly if we upload a podcast Thursday night after one of them loses, but that podcast was actually recorded before the loss, so we're not even addressing it. So I thought about it for about two seconds, three seconds, and I agreed. And so we put the podcast off till Friday morning, and then – Gonzaga lost at San Diego State late Thursday night. So, Norlander, let me ask you this. When you delayed the pod, was it because you figured the Zags were in trouble at San Diego State or did that late result uh, last night uh, surprise you as much as I'm sure it surprised at least some Gonzaga fans? Oh, I'm an oracle, obviously. I knew what we were looking at. And, uh, no, I I simply thought that given the amount of ranked teams in action and couple were just in some interesting spots that a loss seemed – more likely than not. And for Gonzaga here, um, I'll just give San Diego State some credit for getting this win because it really needed one. The Mountain West really needed a win of this of this kind here. Um, perhaps it makes the, Mount, uh, the West Coast Conference stuff a little more interesting. I think St. Mary's is still sitting at just two losses, but most of their non-conference schedule hasn't been nearly as good as Gonzaga's. Uh, but Gonzaga is a little bit of a vexing team. I don't think this is a shocking outcome um this is obviously the first really good win of brian dutcher's career at san diego state uh for those that might not be aware steve fisher is in fact retired he doesn't coach anymore he's not that coach and he was uh he was on the list of the yesterday the hall of fame we talked previously on the previous podcast about uh our issues with uh the recent decisions well they 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 unveiled their massive list of uh candidates uh the, the first list and steve fisher is actually on that list along with bob huggins raleigh massimino eddie uh, sutton and plenty of other coaches who have been on there before but um yeah san diego state there's there's a lot of curiosity as to whether that program can maintain uh most of the level of success it's had over the past decade under fisher and i want to remind people that the san diego state program was uh brutally bad for decades and decades before Fisher got there and what he built there is really truly incredible I mean it would be like if you looked at something honestly like if you looked at San Jose State right now and what has San Jose State really ever been in basketball and then picture a scenario where San Jose State is competing for a number two seed in the NCAA tournament well San Diego State did that under Fisher um, and it was incredible for for Dutcher now, it's can you take what was built there and maintain a top three, top two status in the Mountain West? We don't know yet, but this was the first really big win. Gonzaga continues to be, I think, a, a good team, but a team that's going to be perhaps 
flawed because there there aren't the guys in place, I think, down low to allow Gonzaga to be a truly elite team. I still think this is the best team in the WCC, and its losses, for the most part, are respectable. Last night was on the road, obviously. Double overtime to a Florida team that I know has taken on some bad losses. I still think Florida's good, and then there's no shame in losing to, to Nova on a neutral, even though it wasn't exactly a super close game there. So uh, Gonzaga sits at 10-3 right now, and where do you have them, just as I transition back to you, where do you have them in your top 25-1? and one? I updated it this morning. I just filed it a little while ago. I dropped them down to 21, and really that's because at 22 I've got Creighton. They handle Creighton pretty easily this month. I don't always care about head-to-head matchups and use that as a determining factor. Honestly, you can't do it. You end up putting yourself in all sorts of bad places. And so, uh, But 21 seemed about right when you look at the resume. They've got uh, you know, three losses now. One of them is to top-ranked Villanova on a neutral court, like whatever. I, I'd have liked them to be a little more competitive in that game, but Villanova has been handling uh, everybody uh, rather easily or pretty much everybody rather easily this season, b- basically for years. Um, they've got the double overtime loss to Florida. That didn't seem bad at the time, and it's still not bad. I mean, a 202 OT loss to a top 30 Kempom team, but Florida has lost, I believe, four of six games since it beat Gonzaga out in Portland, so that Florida team's not as good today, or doesn't appear to be good as good today, or at the very least, it hasn't played well um, uh, as well as it was playing in Portland. That loss looks different today than it looked uh, on November 24th. And then last night's loss, not great. I mean, San Diego State's top 60 at Kempom, so they're not uh, embarrassing, but that's a San Diego State team that had already lost to uh, Washington State, which is 173 at Kempom, and then California, which is 176 at Kempom. And honestly, I'm not sure how anybody loses California this year. Like, they've been... Uh, did they lose they, again last night, by the way? I haven't checked. Yep. They did. Portland State. Yeah, they lost again to Portland State. So, um, the the at least one loss is... Again, it's a true road loss. So, the, people are going to take those. I mean, Duke lost to Boston College, so whatever. Uh, but still, th- those are the losses. The wins are a neutral court win over texas which is good better than a loss uh, texas top 40 middle of the pack big 12 team i think uh is a home win over creighton which is good top 30 ken pomp team and they beat them 91 74 and then a neutral court win over ohio state which may or may not look good in march i mean i i'm not convinced ohio state is going to maintain its status as a top 50 ken pom team but it is right now a top 50 ken pom team the larger issue for gonzaga isn't what they are now it's that this is basically what they're going to be. They don't have opportunities anymore. Um, you know, St. Mary's was preseason top 25, but St. Mary's ain't going to be able to get back there, I don't think, uh, because they've already taken losses that we didn't think they would take, most notably the Washington State one, but also to, to Georgia. So they're going to have a hard time because they don't have opportunities to get wins. They don't even try to create opportunities to get wins. Um and then BYU's down. I mean, in your, what Gonzaga needs more than anything is Saint, every year St. Mary's to be really good and BYU to be really good. And when I say really good, I don't mean uh, Duke and Kentucky good. I just mean as good as those programs are capable of being on an annual basis. And right now, I don't know that St. Mary's is that. And certainly BYU isn't that. And so what it means is, you know, Gonzaga won't play another top 100 team until January 18th. Uh, only plays two more top 50 games in the regular season because nobody other than St. Mary's in the WCC is, is in the top 50. So uh, what we're going to do is, is what we do lots of years. 
um, because this happens basically every year. Unless Gonzaga, you know, runs through its non-league portion of the schedule, records big, big wins, and avoids questionable losses, no matter what they do in the WCC, people discount it. They say, hey, listen, okay, all they're doing now is beating up on bad teams. We saw when they were playing real teams in November, December, and they didn't look so great. It's why a few years back, and Mark doesn't have one on the schedule right now, but a few years back when John Calipari was at Memphis, Mark Few was at Gonzaga, they both had the same problem. They would dominate their league, just completely overwhelm everybody. So if you remember, Gonzaga and Memphis actually scheduled home and homes that they would play in like January or February so that they could get a big test, you know, later in the calendar. They could get, um, a, you know, a big national television game. I think it was game day once upon a time, um, you know, uh, you know, in January, February, because Conference USA games didn't register that way and WCC games didn't register that way. Well, Gonzaga didn't have a game like that on his schedule going forward, so they're going to have to deal with skeptics going forward, which isn't the biggest deal in the world. They've been dealing with that for uh, two decades now. Uh, so my guess is they'll start racking up wins in the WCC schedule. Um, the people who want to be skeptical will point to, okay, what have they really done besides beat a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 team? and a middle-of-the-pack Big East team. And then Mark Few will have his team in the Sweet 16 for the fourth consecutive year one way or another. That would be my uh, prediction. But if Gonzaga wanted to spend January and February in the top 10 and not have to answer questions, they needed to knock that one out last night. Yeah, and I want to just bring a little more detail into their situation in the WCC because they are hurt by they, – they would have – just slightly better opportunities for slightly better wins to slightly improve their resume to slightly give them a better shot and maybe one or two seats higher if they do well in the league. If they just had a few more results go the way of their in-conference foes. Uh, St. Mary's, let's just leave them what they are. They're 10-2, and two, whatever. Um, both those losses for St. Mary's were on neutral floors. But, you know, San Francisco, for example, was supposed to be a top 125 type team, in my opinion, uh, and I think by a lot of the... Uh, the empirical models in the preseason. Well, San Francisco, if it had just not lost its opener at home to a Long Beach State team that it lost by like 55 to Michigan State, I understand Michigan State's awesome, but Long Beach State just always schedules tough. It's just not good. You like you take that out. Maybe San Francisco. That's the difference, honestly, between 25 or 30 points in the rankings. San Diego has been better than expected, but San Diego's eight and three. If it was just nine and two and did not lose a game at home to a bad North Texas team, the only loss that San Diego would have right now were to San Diego State and at UC Santa Barbara, and they'd be in much better shape. I mean, San Diego now is going to play Life Pacific. I think that is an insurance company out of La Jolla, and yep. that game is on Friday night, which is unfortunate, but. The, the overall point I'm getting at is the WCC at the top is not where it needs to be. And then even if you go to that next level with the teams like San Francisco and San Diego in this kind of year, if they were just a little bit better, I do think it would truly make a difference for Gonzaga. Instead now, for Gonzaga to give itself its best possible chance, it's going to have to try and pull off what it's done in so many years. And that's essentially, you know, you've got a two-loss uh, cushion in your own league. And I think that they can get out of the league probably by the time they get to the tournament with two losses, three wouldn't shock me. But because they blew a few opportunities, just this is I don't think this is going to be a situation now where Gonzaga is going to be able to compete for that three, four, five seed. You could reasonably say right now Gonzaga should be a one-loss team. And if they were a one-loss team, they'd be a top-ten team. And nobody would question anything if the one loss was simply to Villanova. But now sitting here with three losses to a Florida team that has dropped out of the top 25 and a San Diego State team that – you know, it's just whatever. You mentioned 
you know, what Steve Fisher was able to accomplish at San Diego State. And it really is uh, remarkable. When you talk about, you know, some of the take nothing and turn it into something stories and at, at least the modern era of college basketball, um, I think you start with what John Calipari did at UMass uh, because that was like taking over Southern Miss and turning it into the number one basketball team in the country. Um, certainly, uh, I'm not pretending Wichita State started with Greg Marshall. They didn't. Mark Turgeon took him to a Sweet 16. But certainly he has taken that um, that program from outside of a power structure, traditional power structure, and turned it into one of the you know, 10, 15 best programs in America. Um, obviously what Gonzaga has been able to do by investing in, in Mark Few and those facilities and that program and then being able to keep Mark Few, that's a great nothing to something story. I can remember, I think when I was in college, so we're like 90, I want to say maybe 96, 97, 98, somewhere in that window, maybe 99. Couldn't have been past 99. I was out of college by then. Uh, but Gonzaga came in to play Memphis at the Pyramid in a bye game. And we were like, who are all these white dudes? Like, we just thought it was funny. Like, who's what's Gonzaga and all these white – and they beat them. I think Tick Price was the coach. And that's the year where Gonzaga really broke through for the first time. But, like, Gonzaga was a bye game for Memphis. And I was a college basketball fan who had a very limited understanding of even where Gonzaga was. And so to contrast that with here we are, you know, less than 20 years later, and Gonzaga is one of the biggest brands and most successful programs in America, uh, that is an unbelievable, takes nothing and turning to something story. But what Steve Fisher was able to do at San Diego State, I mean, pretty remarkable. And it belongs on that, uh, on that list somewhere. All that said, and this was my initial point, this San Diego State team ain't one of those San Diego State teams, I don't think. So I'm not certain that this is going to be uh, able to be chalked up by Gonzaga as a, quote, quality loss, you know, on Selection Sunday, because I think San Diego State will probably still remain um, a sub-50 Ken Palm uh, team, and those types of losses don't usually uh, don't usually count as, as quality losses. Uh, let me tell you about SeatGeek, which is the best ticket purchasing app in the whole wide world. You can get tickets to anything at SeatGeek. So if you haven't don't downloaded the app yet, go download that app, put it on your stupid phone, and next time you're getting ready to buy tickets to anything, make sure to use the word uh, promo code COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB at SeatGeek. Because when you use that, you're going to get $20 off your first ticket purchase. And it doesn't have to be college basketball tickets. I know that might be misleading. College BB, you think, well, if I'm going to buy college basketball tickets, I'll use college BB. No, you could use it NBA tickets, NFL tickets, uh, bowl game tickets, concert tickets, Christmas gifts. You realize Christmas is like right around the corner. You're probably still buying for people. Uh, why not tickets to some event that they'd want to use, uh, that they'd want to attend? I... Uh, have a family member, full disclosure here, who's a uh, big-time University of Memphis uh, fan. These days, more football than basketball, but still. Uh, the Tigers are playing in the Liberty Bowl on uh, December 30th, and uh, the, the opponents are Iowa State. In other words, they're in a bowl game in their home stadium. Uh, tickets are, I, I think, either almost sold out or near, uh, or completely sold out. And so if you're going to buy them, you got to buy them from a second-hand uh, a, a ticket distributor. Well, what did I do? Christmas presents. Okay, I bet this person would like to go to this. I went to SeatGeek. I found a couple tickets. I purchased them. 
uh, I couldn't use the promo code CollegeBB because it wasn't my first time to UC Geek, but you can. That's my point. So use it. Promo code CollegeBB. CollegeBB to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase to any kind of live event you want to go to. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. Norlander, since we last recorded a podcast, Wofford beat North Carolina. Wofford was, I believe, a 25 or 25 and a half point underdog. That makes this, by some measurements at least, if not all measurements, the biggest upset of the college basketball season. Your thoughts on uh, Mike Young and the Terriers going into the Dean Smith Center and knocking off the reigning national champions. Indeed, the Terriers. Seth Davis had a tremendous tweet slash stat, and he said all-time wins in Chapel Hill. I know, I saw this. (laughs) Clemson zero. Of course, Clemson is like 0 for 59 or something like that. How is that even possible? Wouldn't you just get lucky one time? That's a gorilla stat, my friend. And that is incredible that uh, that that they're they're in state. You know, Wofford is in South Carolina. Clemson is as well. And uh, this is clearly, arguably, the biggest win in Wofford history. Um, they have been NCAA tournaments. Mike Young has taken them there. He is uh, a true gentleman of the sport, at least in my dealings with him. Um, just he is honestly like. I don't know how much you've ever talked with Mike Young or not, GP, but like, I, just because maybe there's a, just a little bit more of an age difference, and I'm not necessarily calling Mike Young old. He's just he's old enough to be my father, so he has a, a fatherly disposition about him. And ha, you know, this kind of win happened for him. That's really, really awesome, man. I mean, for Carolina, you know, they they had the brutal showing against Michigan State. Now they had the home loss against Wofford. If we want to take from both those losses and say, hey, this team is flawed, shows they're not going to win a national championship. I I can't fully go there, but I totally get it. Like, if we get to the end of the season and we say, listen, these things indicated why UNC just was not going to be the team it was last season. I get that. They're still young down low. They were going to take a step back. Um, but Wofford is a team that's capable of shooting it. I, I kind of want to just make the game more about them. They aren't going to be – I don't think they're going to be the best team in the SoCon. But they got this dude, Fletcher McGee, who shoots like 97% from the line for his career. He is a 53% three-point shooter. He is already at more – he's a junior right now he's over already at more than a thousand points i think he'll probably finish his career with like 2500 plus points at the d1 level and that is not common uh, but he is really really good i was texting with mike uh on thursday morning and he said fletcher mcgee is a workout maniac and uh has just really put the time in he said i should be surprised i guess with what he's been able to do but i kind of am not just because i'm telling you matt he is just an absolute freak when it comes to doing the right things working out, getting his body in shape, and wanting to just get better overall. He is the – what did I see? He is he's a top one of the uh, NCAA st- stats list right now, and I can't remember what it is. But he's third in scoring per game uh, behind Trey Young and someone I can't remember, so apologies to that player. But just an awesome thing for, uh, for Wofford to pull off, and uh, they just barely held on. But nevertheless, that's a lifetime memory for them to go into Chapel Hill and uh, and – be the first-ranked team in program history. It never happened for him. Yeah, I mean, what a tremendous win for that program, for Mike, for those players. I mean, you're exactly right. That's the type of thing where, you know, they'll be sitting around 20 years, none of them NBA players, none of them playing professional basketball. And most of them probably never have, if not all of them, never had played professional basketball. That's the biggest basketball memory they'll ever have. And it'll be just like, you know, when former athletes get together and they go, hey, remember when? You know, now they've got to remember when uh, we were in Chapel Hill and we knocked off the reigning national champions. Uh, so that, what an awesome moment uh, for those guys. And as for what it means about North Carolina, I, I suppose we'll see. Obviously, when 
you're favored by 25 points. It's it's shocking when you lose that game, independent of, of the details. But after watching them remain so composed and so focused on Sunday afternoon at Tennessee in front of a sold out and hostile Thompson Bowling Arena, like you just thought, okay, they're built for this maybe. Like and in a way that I didn't necessarily anticipate in the preseason. Like, okay, you can go in there and, and trail the whole game, but then make big plays down the stretch, stay composed, get out of there. Uh, that was super impressive. So in like a four-day span, I think Tennessee had one of the, the, the more impressive performances, uh, at least closes in a game. Like coming from behind in the final minute to knock off a good Tennessee team in Knoxville – and then, and then they backed it with one of the craziest, like, what are you doing performances of the season, uh, losing at home uh, to Wofford. But, you know, they are relying on a lot of pieces that uh, aren't used to being relied on, uh, most notably at the top of the roster in, in Luke May. Um, so perhaps that's an explanation. But either way, I'm with you. Let's focus more on Wofford than North Carolina. Uh, just a terrific, terrific win for that program, for that coach and those players. Um, Brian Bowen. Gave his first interview, spoke publicly for the first time on uh, Thursday afternoon on Outside the Lines and essentially said if there was a payment made between Adidas and his father, he knew nothing about it. Even went so far as to say he still doesn't believe that it actually happened. Also said that his goal is to play college basketball still. And when asked if he's um, talked to his father about this, he said, nope, I, we just haven't talked about it. Uh, I don't want to talk to him about it. And it was just sort of bizarre, or at least answers that I, I find hard to, to believe. Do you find hard to believe what Brian Bowen said Thursday afternoon? I do find it hard to believe. He, had, he said like his father and him have like gotten even closer. Well, if that's the case. Right. Th- listen, I, I cannot remove the very strong possibility from all of this that uh, Bowen is appropriately lawyered up and was appropriately coached and went as far as he could in saying what he could, but still has opted not to reveal other things. I do allow for the very true possibility that uh, most of the stuff went over his head um, and he was unaware of some of it. There's, I just, I think that that is absolutely something that could be on the table. Um, but I want to like, you know, when was the last time he communicated with Rick Pitino, what he thinks of Rick Pitino right now? Um, does he have, like, what biggest regrets does he have about his recruitment process just in terms of, just a quick reset here for people that might not be aware, like, Bowen was the one recruit in his class who was the hardest to read. For so many months it was no one really knows what this kid's feeling, where he's going to go, his list keeps changing, random schools keep popping on the list, and then Louisville comes in late out of nowhere and lands and ends up getting him. Well, now that we know what we know, we understand why that was happening and to me, it's not just the parents that facilitate that. Because if Bowen wants to go to one school really badly or leans for two or three schools in a certain way, he's going to express that opinion within his own family. And then I don't see a situation where they can fully keep from him, his father can fully keep from him what was going on. Or if he can, uh, how Bowen isn't you know, asking questions and wanting to know more. Cause he wasn't even a, a, a recruit that was really even saying much to the, 
to the recruiting writers that would ask him occasionally, hey, what's, you know, what's the latest? What are you, what are you thinking? Where are you going to go? And this went all the way on into May. So um, do, will he ever play college basketball? I'm not sure. That's a really good question. Remember, the FBI has freed him from their portion of the investigation. Um, now he will have to deal with uh, whether the NCAA ever winds up getting him eligible because the big picture is how has this FBI ordeal affected his long-term goals of playing basketball in college, if possible, or, or professionally, um, he's in a tight spot because he wasn't seen as a, uh, a one-and-done, perhaps maybe not even a two-and-done prospect. But can he even play college basketball? And if he can't, what market can he get overseas? This whole thing is obviously massively screwed up his life. I'm not going to call him a liar because that seems uh, vicious, but I don't believe him. Um, I, I do believe it's possible that he didn't know that there was a six-figure payment being negotiated above his head, although it seems difficult to do anything above his head given that hair. <laughs> no Del Beckham hair right there. <laughs> what in the world? Um, but um, like, the, if if it's true that he didn't know, the rest of his story doesn't make any sense because he wasn't supposed to go to Louisville. Why did you go to Louisville? Uh, you know, he was asked, "Did your parents put pressure on you, push you to Louisville, guide you to Louisville?" Uh, suggest that maybe you should consider Louisville? He said, no, not at all. Well, then why did you go to Louisville? Like, why out of nowhere did you go to Louisville then? By his own admission, he was close to going to Arizona. So then why do you move to go to Louisville? You don't know anything's happening above your head. You don't, your parents aren't pushing you, nudging you, anything to Louisville. You decide to go to Louisville? Tell me why. That doesn't make sense. Okay, now your dream is to play college basketball. That's what he said. That's the word he used, dream, my dream, play college basketball. Okay, that dream's been taken away from you, allegedly, because your father negotiated a deal with Adidas and uh, and perhaps Rick Patino as well. You haven't talked to your dad about that? Your dad ripped your dream away without your knowledge? And you haven't talked to him about that? You haven't even asked him? I could understand forgiving him. Like, what if you go to your dad and say, Dad, what's up? And your dad says, hey, listen, here's the deal. This kind of stuff goes on all the time. Uh, you know, um, I, was, I wanted to take this money and uh, put it in a fund for you, um, you know, whatever, however you write, I can understand forgiving your father, um, but like not even talking to him about it, like you're ineligible probably forever, not going to get to, uh, uh, you know, even attempt your dream, your self-described dream, and your father's the reason, and you haven't talked to him about it, and oh, by the way, I haven't talked to my father about it, but we're closer now, What? I mean, that, does any of that make any sense? It, it doesn't. Um, no, it, it doesn't so make any sense. The end of this stuff doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. None of it makes any sense. And so now the question becomes, like, what should the NCAA do? And Mike DeCourcy wrote that they should clear him and allow him to transfer. And um, I obviously respect Mike. And I'm usually pro-player. I mean, if you read me, listen to me. I'm usually pro-player. I'll, I, you know, I want Jalen Hayes to be cleared. Um I want the kid at NC State to be cleared. I'm usually pro player. I don't think I am here. Uh, and here's why. If the NCAA uh, acknowledges that this happened, that there was a six-figure deal negotiated by, in some ways, uh, a player's family, father, uh, but the player, we don't believe, knew anything about it because he says he didn't know anything about it. So we're going to allow that person to play college basketball. I mean, haven't you just laid the playbook down? 
I mean, every time, like, hey, parents, go negotiate whatever deal you want to negotiate. A, you probably won't get caught. But B, if you do get caught, um, just make sure your kid says he didn't know nothing about it. Then you could be just like Brian Bowen, go play college basketball anyway. I, I just, I, I think he should be done. Like, rule him ineligible, keep him ineligible, and let him e- either attend college on scholarship at Louisville, which is certainly fine by me. Get your college education if you want to, or uh, get on with your pro career in whatever form that is. But, um, like, I, I guess my my two large points would be this. I don't. His story doesn't make any sense. And I know you said that perhaps he was lawyered up and and coached on what he could say and what he couldn't say. I would say this: if you can't perform any better than the way he performed in an outside the lines interview, you shouldn't do it. Like if you can't do better than he did, shouldn't do it because he uh, you're better off just staying quiet. Because now he just looks weird, silly, and 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 possibly. Um, like somebody who's not telling the truth, at least to me, from my perspective, his story doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, so, uh, that, yeah, I, he shouldn't have done the interview. And then beyond that, he shouldn't play college basketball going forward because, um, the, the lesson here, if you're trying to teach a lesson, uh, should probably be, Hey, parents, if you care about your kids, be careful. Cause look at what this young man's father did to this young man's college career. He ripped it away for what? For greed? Like, is it worth it? Taking away your kid's dream? Is it worth it? And again, he, Brian Bowen's father, not the first father to do something like this, or the first uncle or cousin or AU coach or high school coach or whomever. But um, it, it, he got caught. And when you get caught, there should be a price to pay. And, and this should probably be the price. And I, I hate it for Brian Bowen if he genuinely was unaware. But to allow him to play allows parents going forward to do whatever it is they want to do. And if they happen to get caught, just make sure the kids say, I had no idea. And then you can play like Brian Bowen play. I don't, I don't like that precedent at all. Unless you just want to get rid of amateurism, which I'm fine with, as we said a million times. But as long as you're going to stay tied to these ridiculous rules of amateurism, uh, then you got to enforce the rules. I agree. Uh, CBS Sports Classic is scheduled for Saturday. It's down at New Orleans inside the, do you know what the arena is? Love the arena. It's some sort of smoothie center, right? It's the Smoothie King Center. <laughs> I love the Smoothie King Center. It's the Smoothie King Center in New Orleans. Uh, North Carolina, Ohio State's the early game. Kentucky-UCLA is the later game. Obviously, in a year like this year, we'd like to get Carolina-Kentucky, but I think that's what we got last year in Las Vegas. Got to switch it up. So we got Carolina-Ohio State, Kentucky-UCLA. You put either the Tar Heels or the Wildcats on upset alert? Um. Maybe Carolina. Maybe. Maybe just a little bit. Maybe we find out Ohio State got itself a damn good coach and is able to get this kind of win here. OSU is 10-3. and three. We'll see. I, I got UNC winning that game. Um, hell, give me UNC by like 10, I think. But uh, the more interesting game of the two here is that you, how UNC responds is plenty interesting. But let's just see how they uh, are, are able to bounce back against, uh, against OSU. But Kentucky... Um, you know, I've got a, a, by the time most of you listen to this, I'll probably have my story up on CBSSports.com about just the most surprising things about this season, the teams, the players, the, the stuff. And for Kentucky, I have just a lack of buzz right now. It's just a little surprising, right, GP? I mean, normally in most years, we're talking plenty about Kentucky within the first six weeks of the season, and we haven't totally ignored them, but the schedule hasn't allowed for too much, um, 
overall analysis, discussion, talking points. And that's unusual for Calipari at UK. So um, Kentucky gets the big stage here. Um, they're a better team than UCLA. They should win this game. And if they're able to win it uh, in any particularly interesting style, then, yeah, maybe there's another takeaway uh, because they're hitting a two-game stretch here. They've got UCLA now, and then they've got on Friday. GP will be at that game. We'll preview it next week. They've got the home tilt against uh, the in-state Cardinals. So um, I want to see what we get from Diallo and Knox. I think they've both been top ten freshmen to this point. But, uh, but yeah, Kentucky hasn't given us a ton of reasons to, to say too much about them yet so far this season. With Kentucky, I would say that the answer to why there's not a whole lot of buzz around them is um, they've only played one ranked team all season. You know, that was Kansas in the Champions Classic way back when they lost that game. And then the other factor is that unlike most years, they do not have like a projected top five pick guy. I mean, Kevin Knox is maybe the best pro prospect. And I, I guess he's a top 10 guy, top 15 guy. But, you know, last year they had De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk. Once upon a time they had Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins. Um, I mean, you, you, Devin Booker, Brandon Knight. I mean, you go through it. Usually they've got like this one guy that everybody feels like you got to watch because he's going to be a possible, you know, top five pick in the NBA draft, if not number one overall pick in the NBA draft. And they just don't have that. So they don't, they don't have a signature win. Honestly, they've only played one big, big game. And I know last weekend's game against Virginia Tech was a big game for college basketball fans, but that just doesn't register the way, you know, blue blood versus blue blood or top five versus top ten, you know, registers. And so uh, I'm not even sure that this one does because UCLA is down, um, certainly down relative to what they were last year with Lonzo. But um, it's still UCLA. It's still on big CBS. So uh, they'll have some eyeballs on them on Saturday. I think Kentucky wins. I think North Carolina wins. Um, but I, clearly, if you can lose to Wofford, you can lose to Ohio State. And Kentucky has been in trouble against teams inferior to UCLA already this season. So if they found themselves you know, less than eight minutes to play in trouble again, that wouldn't shock me. But my guess is uh, the top ten teams, North Carolina and Kentucky, are probably, uh, probably get out of the Smoothie King Center uh, with victories. GP, I want to uh, one quick thing. We didn't talk about this in our pre-show uh, rundown here, but uh, so I went to bed last night, mm. woke up, did stuff with the kid, got the house ready, uh, didn't check Twitter, and then within the first like seven minutes of this podcast, I I silently reacted as I learned Dick Enberg died. Um, yeah, that's a huge thing in the broadcast world, and I only want to bring this up because one Enberg really might be my favorite play-by-play person ever. Truly, I loved his style, loved his voice, and he was on the call for the biggest moment in college basketball history, and in fact, called many of the biggest moments. His two singular games uh, that are attached to his resume from a college hoop standpoint are: he called the Magic Bird championship game in '79. He was the play-by-play guy for that. And he was on the call for the, quote, game of the century when uh, UCLA played Houston in the Astrodome. And neither of us were alive at the time, but from our own perspectives, uh, what that game meant and how big it was. I mean, that, that came at a time as college basketball was really uh, moving into view as a truly national sport. And that game helped build a lot of that. Um, he also called, I think, eight Final Fours. I'm almost positive he was on that amazing Illinois-Arizona uh, call from 2005 
and he was so versatile um, with with everything that he could call. I loved him as a college hoops announcer. Loved really all that he did. Just wanted to pay quick homage to Dick Emberg. That's stunning because I, I guess it was a heart attack he died of because he was still working. He was still uh. doing things. He was still uh, in the business there, and this certainly comes as a as a shock and. Really, uh, as we close out 2017 here, I mean, he, in my opinion, this is one of the biggest sports deaths of the year, given his legendary status and considered, you know, truly, truly one of the greats. Yeah, I mean, he's an icon. I mean, everybody knows Dick Inberg. Everybody knows his face. Everybody knows his name. Everybody knows his voice. And if you can ever reach uh, that level of prominence in whatever profession you choose, uh, then you've been pretty excellent at what you've done and, and made an undeniable impact. So rest in peace for sure. Shouts to Dick Inberg. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. And remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via iTunes. So please go do that. It makes a difference. We appreciate it. And know that we will be back very, very soon. Enjoy Christmas if you're into enjoying Christmas. We'll talk to you soon. Until then, uh, take care.